Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. From the 8th century BC to the 4th century AD, the Olympic Games were held in Greece. These ancient games sought to promote athleticism, but also a sense of community among the various Greek city-states and kingdoms. By the late 19th century, efforts were made to revive this system. In 1894, the International Olympic Committee was established. The IOC, as it has come to be known, reinvented the Olympics for the modern world, but made every effort to stay true to the original spirit of the Games. The first modern Games were held in Athens in 1896. For the next two decades, the Games struggled to survive, and were actually cancelled in 1916 due to World War I. By the 1920s, however, the Games were back in force. In the years after World War I, Amsterdam rigorously petitioned the IOC to host the Games. In 1920 and 1924, Amsterdam lost its bid to host the Olympics to Paris and Antwerp, two cities with war victim status, but Amsterdam would beat Los Angeles to host the 1928 Olympics. Forty-six nations would compete in Amsterdam, in 15 sports and 109 events. In many ways, the 1928 Olympics would set the standard for all future Olympics. For the first time in modern Olympic history, the Olympic flame was lit and kept burning throughout the Games. And for the first time, there was a parade of nations that featured Greece first and ended with the host nation. It was also the first Olympics to feature Coca-Cola as a sponsor. The 1928 Games would also have political significance. It marked Germany's return to the Games after being banned from the 1920 and 1924 Olympics as punishment for World War I. General Douglas MacArthur would serve as the president of the U.S. Olympic Committee in 1928 and would travel to Amsterdam with the U.S. delegation to the Games. According to MacArthur biographer William Manchester, American participation in the 1928 Olympics was a MacArthur production. This podcast will examine MacArthur's connection to the 1928 Olympics. In 1927, William C. Prout, president of the U.S. Olympic Committee, died. With less than a year to go before the start of the 9th Olympic Games in Amsterdam, the loss of Prout threatened to derail the participation of American athletes at the Games. The various factions that made up the American Olympic Committee could not agree on a candidate to replace him, and so they began to search farther afield for a suitable candidate. Major General Douglas MacArthur quickly came to the attention of the committee. A passionate supporter of athletics, MacArthur had risen to prominence in athletic circles, following his tenure as superintendent of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. As superintendent, MacArthur had implemented an intramural athletic program that had then been adopted by the leading colleges of the country. He was also a war hero, and as such, he was a candidate that all sides could agree on. The committee offered him the job. MacArthur was flattered by the offer to replace Prout. 
Having recently served on the unpleasant court-martial of his friend Billy Mitchell, and in the midst of a bitter separation from his first wife, the offer to serve as president of the U.S. Olympic Committee was an unexpected stroke of good fortune for the general. He immediately sought permission to accept the job from Army Chief of Staff Charles P. Summerall. General Summerall was a sports enthusiast himself and was more than willing to allow MacArthur to serve on detached duty for the duration of the Olympics. Summerall, who was familiar with MacArthur's theatricality and ability to charm and curry favor, also hoped that MacArthur's high-profile involvement with the U.S. Olympic team would result in good publicity for the Army. With Summerall's approval, MacArthur enthusiastically accepted the offer. With MacArthur in charge, for the most part the various factions of the American Olympic Committee were pacified. The committee exceeded fundraising goals, and the Olympic trials yielded a promising group of American athletes for the Games. Four days before Team USA left for Amsterdam to compete, however, controversy erupted over the amateur status of one of the athletes, track star Charles Paddock. The Amateur Athletic Union argued that Paddock was an amateur, but the National Collegiate Athletic Association, or NCAA, insisted that he wasn't, and therefore could not participate in the Olympics. With each group unable to reach an agreement, MacArthur stepped in and sided with the Amateur Athletic Union, when the NCAA proved unable to produce any evidence to back up their claims about Paddock. With the crisis temporarily solved, days later on July 11th, MacArthur accompanied the U.S. Olympic team aboard the SS Roosevelt in New York City. The athletes arrived in Amsterdam 10 days later on July 21st. With the paddock crisis still fresh in the air, the IOC investigated paddock status. The IOC ultimately sided with MacArthur and the Amateur Athletic Union and allowed paddock to compete in the Games. For the duration of the Games in Amsterdam, the SS Roosevelt would serve as the headquarters and home of Team USA, which included Johnny Weissmuller, who would go on to play Tarzan in the Hollywood movies, and 13-year-old diving sensation Dorothy Poynton. Athletes slept, ate, and practiced on board. MacArthur naturally dominated the American delegation, and appears prominently in many of the team photographs taken aboard the Roosevelt. As had happened with men under his command in the 42nd Division during World War I, Team USA quickly became not just his responsibility, but his family. The team returned this affection, and the MacArthur Memorial Archives contains letters from American athletes, managers, and officials from the 1928 Olympics, who by the 1940s were cheering on the general. On July 29th, the Games opened. In the Parade of Nations that opened the ceremony, Johnny Weissmuller carried the American flag and was followed by MacArthur, who marched into the stadium with Team USA in tow. The games were not without drama, and they actually began with a bit of drama. The French delegation was conspicuously absent from the opening ceremony, upset that earlier in the day, Dutch groundskeepers in the Olympic Stadium had not allowed them to practice on the track. Queen Wilhelmina, head of state of the Netherlands, was also absent from the opening ceremonies. A strict Calvinist, she refused to attend because the opening day was a Sunday. She was also annoyed that she had not been advised earlier of the opening date. Later in the Games, further controversy erupted during the women's swimming competition, when Hilda Schrader, a German champion swimmer, broke the shoulder straps of her bathing suit. According to a reporter, she was forced to remain immersed in the water until the covering was adjusted. 
In the stands and in full view of the press corps, MacArthur made a show of averting his eyes. Later, during a rowing competition, the Canadian delegation accused the judging panel of favoring the Americans, and in another event, the U.S. boxing team nearly withdrew from their events because of what they perceived as unfair judging. The New York Times reported that when MacArthur heard this, he curtly informed the boxing team manager, Americans never quit. Duly chastised, the boxing team remained in the competition, and all four members made it into the quarterfinals. As mentioned earlier, the U.S. Olympic presence in Amsterdam was a MacArthur production. Everywhere he went, he was a force to be reckoned with. He had dinner with Queen Wilhelmina, and was pleased to note in his autobiography that the Queen deliberately selected MacArthur roses, named for his father Arthur MacArthur, to decorate the dining tables. He also palled around with everyone from royals to sports journalists and athletes. It didn't matter who it was, male or female, athlete or observer, fan or jaded sports writer, royal or commoner, American or foreigner. MacArthur was a sensation with all. Most clearly had expected a boring two-dimensional military officer. Instead, they all found him to be an articulate, well-read, philosophical, and cultured man. His enthusiasm for the games and for the host country endeared him to many. Through it all, MacArthur was in his element. According to biographer D. Clayton James, he lived the glories and disappointments of the outcomes as intensely as any of the athletes. During the 10,000-meter race, caught up in the excitement of the race, MacArthur leapt out of the official's box and ran all the way to the ribbon to be there when the victorious athlete crossed the finish line. When the U.S. rowing team was competing, MacArthur had his chauffeur drive parallel to the river as they raced along, cheering them along and experiencing the thrill of the competition with them. When some U.S. athletes did not do as well as expected, including Charles Paddock, the athlete whose eligibility had ignited a firestorm of controversy early in the games, MacArthur took it personally and called a team meeting. MacArthur later wrote, I rode them hard all along the line. Athletes are among the most temperamental of all persons, but I stormed and pleaded and cajoled. I told them we represented the greatest nation in the world, that we were there to win and to win decisively. He also began to hold regular meetings with the various team managers. Few enjoyed these meetings. A sports writer reported that these meetings had a chilling temperature as a bank director's meeting, but that in the end, they tended to produce good results. When the games closed on August 12, 1928, the United States finished first in the medal count, with 24 gold medals, 21 silver medals, and 17 bronze medals, followed by Finland in a distant second and Germany in third place. Team USA also made 17 new Olympic records and 7 world records. At the time, this was the greatest number of Olympic and world records ever achieved by one nation in any international competition. In his final report to President Calvin Coolidge, MacArthur summed up his experience as president of the U.S. Olympic Committee in his most flowery prose. I recall a passage in Plutarch, wherein Themistocles, being asked whether he would rather be Achilles or Homer, replied, Which would you rather be, a conqueror in the Olympic Games, or the crier who proclaims who are the conquerors? and indeed to portray adequately the vividness and brilliance of that great spectacle would be worthy even of the pen of Homer. This description may seem overwrought, but to MacArthur the sentiment was genuine. 
He loved athletics and found it an essential part of the fabric of a free nation. He concluded his report to the president with this sweeping vision of what sport meant for America. Athletic America is a telling phrase. It is talismanic. It suggests health and happiness. It arouses natural pride and kindles anew the national spirit. In its fruition, it means a more sturdy, a more self-reliant, a more self-helping people. It means, therefore, a firmer foundation for our free institutions and a steadier, more determined hold on the future. Nothing is more synonymous of our national success than is our national success in athletics. President Coolidge found MacArthur's report perplexing, mostly because athletics wasn't exactly a passion of his. In the last game of the 1924 World Series, with the score tied in the eighth inning, President Coolidge had simply left the stadium because he had seen enough. Nevertheless, while lost on Coolidge, MacArthur's sentiments were appreciated by many. His quote on Athletic America would later be engraved on a panel in the Douglas MacArthur Room in the U.S. Olympic House in New York City. In his autobiography, MacArthur referred to his tenure as president of the U.S. Olympic Committee as an agreeable interlude. Sandwiched between the bruising Billy Mitchell court-martial and his eventual divorce from his first wife, this would be one of the happiest times in MacArthur's life, and a brief respite from the professional and personal pressures that he faced. As MacArthur would demonstrate throughout his life, his love of athletics was unmatched. He saw sport and international competition as one of the greatest accomplishments of mankind. In the future, his country would call on him yet again to use his passion for sport and his status as a veteran statesman to yet again save the U.S. Olympic Committee and the team from crisis. At the request of President John F. Kennedy, an 82-year-old MacArthur would solve yet another dispute between the Amateur Athletic Union and the NCAA that threatened to derail U.S. participation in the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. Acknowledging MacArthur's great contribution to American athletics, all sides agreed to his mediation and soon came to an agreement. According to President Kennedy, MacArthur's involvement in the process made American participation in the Tokyo Olympics possible, at a time in American history when a victory in the Olympics meant a victory in the Cold War. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.